Hey, She Slays listeners. Before we get into the episode, I want to tell you about one of our sponsors, the Focus Academy. So you know chiropractic can help kids, but you lack confidence in your knowledge or communication skills to educate parents in your community. I've got a solution for you. The Focus Academy gives you the training and education to understand the why behind those wins and challenges you're seeing in clinic. They teach you how to perform a full brain-based exam, how to go beyond just the subluxation, but stay principled in your chiropractic approach and address and understand the consequences on brain development. They take a two-pronged approach. First, clinical solutions taught in a way that gives you full access to a deeper and more comprehensive understanding and breaks those techniques and approaches down into digestible and practical steps. Second, right now strategies you can employ wherever you are in your training. You'll learn how to seamlessly ask and answer the big questions in your clinical exams and re-exams and have it actually inform the whole child approach and care planning in a way your patients will understand. And since you're a She Slays listener, you'll get free access to the Focus Academy's Kickstart program. Just click the link in the show notes to get started on your journey to improving your practice. Hey, She Slayers, and welcome to another episode of She Slays a Day podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Lauren Brunslick, and today we are talking about financial literacy, financial freedom, student loans. We're talking about money, people. Um, it's something that uh, a lot of us have to deal with. A lot of us, but I like all of us. <laughs> Um, so I mentioned like a month ago that I didn't have a trip planned and I was getting really stir crazy. Okay. It's, it's coming to a head and it's really funny because this past week, um, well, so today as I'm recording, it's Friday and yesterday, it's like the last weekend before school starts. And yesterday I tried convincing Kirby. So yesterday being Thursday at four o'clock. I tried convincing Kirby that it was a, I don't know that it was a good idea. I think I was more like testing the boundaries of like, will he let me get away with this? Like a kid would of <laughs> priced out how much it would cost for our family of four to go to Disney world for the weekend. I found a flight. It left at 6am this morning. Spoiler. We didn't go. Um, and I found which Disney resort. So I, we wouldn't have been able to go to Magic Kingdom because they were sold out. I also, of course, priced out Disneyland. Disneyland didn't have any. Um, so I like had, you know, weighed like, should we go to Disneyland or Disney World? Because I actually prefer Disneyland. Just going to say that. Um, and so I'd like figured it out. We could go to everyone except the Magic Kingdom. We could stay at the budget friendly New Orleans one. Uh, flights were not super cheap, but they weren't crazy expensive. And I was like, hey, just throwing this out there. Uh, how would you feel about packing our bags and going to Minneapolis and flying out tomorrow at 6 a.m. and taking the kids to Disney World this weekend? And he didn't even laugh. Like he just looked at me like I was a dummy and said, yeah, no. And I was like, oh man, he didn't even consider that. Um, so the ADHD is hitting the hard people. I don't know what's going to happen. I will self implode if something doesn't happen soonish, but I am going to Nashville in October with him for a training, but that's October 20th. This is the first summer that we have not gone anywhere as a family. Typically we go somewhere in June and then we go somewhere in August instead I decided to invest and buy an Airbnb, which 
I don't know, smart, not smart, who knows. But I, I I did say when Kirby didn't even laugh and he just said no. Um, he, he had just edited last week's podcast, like the timing. And he's like, I think you need to re-listen to the ADHD episode and ask yourself, are you bored? I was like, yes, I'm bored. Fine, fine. Um, Okay, so we're in September, people. I mean, you're in September. I'm on the 26th of August, but you're not supposed to. That's like the veil that you're not supposed to mess up for the listener. You're supposed to pretend that like whatever day you're listening, I'm I'm with you, but I'm not. I'm in the past. Um, And... If it's September, that means that we are now on Instagram. If you are a student or an associate looking for a job or a a new graduate or whatever you want to call yourself, if you are looking for a job, I am, uh, there's a few jobs that I am sharing now each month. I'm picking a few clinics and I make them give me all the details. They don't want to, but I'm like, I'm sorry. Uh, The students want to know how much you're paying. So no vague answers, just like what is the pay? What is the growth opportunities? What is your technique? Where are you located? So I will be sharing those on stories once a week, all through September. And then if you go to my Instagram bio, you will see a highlight titled September Job Openings, and you can check them out there. So students, be looking. I am not playing middleman, so don't send me any messages. Each of the uh, clinics has a direct contact email. So there you go. I did my job. Do you guys remember the Bravo TV show? Um, Was she called Million Million Dollar Matchmaker? I liked that show. I liked that show a lot. There are some Bravo shows that I just can't do. Um, Well, I mean, that makes me seem like I've got high values and I and I don't. Um, There are just some I didn't get into. Let's just say that. Like, I really like some housewives and then others not so much. Um, Like, I just didn't get into New Jersey. I watched for the epic table flipping season. I was watching back then when I had more time for trash. Uh, No, again, that makes me sound better. Back then, we didn't have as many options for trash TV. Netflix was not as big back in the like New Jersey house flipping season. So now I have Netflix to compete with my trash. So the only trash that has really crossed through uh, from TV is The Bachelorette and Slash Bachelor, but only like the first half of the episodes. Like, I don't know. Once it gets to hometowns, I'm like, well, except for Clayton's season. Holy moly. That brought me back in. I was like, okay, you really messed this up, dude. Um, And Real Housewives of... Orange County. No, not Orange County. What's the other one? Over there. There's like two California ones. I don't know. I like them. Um, So yeah, I think that's really the only trash that I watch on TV. We started watching Alone. I wouldn't classify that as trash. Um, It's actually quite engaging. I think Kirby's really messed up my trash TV time too. Like he just makes me feel like I have no soul. Um, in an indirect Enneagram nine kind of way would. So how'd we get on this? Don't know. Don't know. Uh, today's guest though. So you guys, I realized after I pressed record that I don't have her last name. I just have Mal and I've checked like four different spots 
she's just, I think she's going for a Beyonce vibe in her brand and I love it. So we don't know. But Mal is a money coach and personal finance educator. So her mission at Fueling Financial Freedom is to help women feel more confident and empowered when approaching personal finance topics. We talk in the episode like, what's why women is it just because you're a woman um and she's had some some really eye-opening answers there that I think you're gonna like um she talks about how we are not taught how to invest strategically pay off debt or how to buy a house any of that in school and after spending years and hours upon hours of time improving her own financial literacy while paying off debt and now investing aggressively for early retirement while still enjoying life mal made it her mission to help others do the same Time is our most valuable asset on earth, and she has set out to help others achieve financial freedom and have more control of their time through relatable and digestible personal finance education. Uh, we moved this baby up in the queue because in like it shouldn't have released until probably end of October, but we wanted to bump it up because there have been some... I don't know. I mean, there have been announcements, but like, how are we feeling about these announcements the last few weeks with forgiveness? Like, money's, we're going to have to start paying back in January. They gave us $10,000. <sighs> Is that a big deal? I mean, we're excited. Yes. But like, I don't know. It's, it's a whole, it's a whole thing. So you guys like talking about money. I'm a big old money dummy. Um... I didn't have an opportunity to share this story. It's really not funny. It, it's it's funny in how sad it was. Um, my friend and I both run businesses and our husbands are like have degrees in finance. Like they're, they're very smart. We do not have finance degrees. And so I don't think it's silly that we really um, just kind of put that trust in them to do with it. Although Mal would go, Lauren, you really should know more. And I should. And I agree. And one night we were talking and, uh, like kind of a mutual friend male had, I think had like a sudden heart attack seat, not a funny story at all. Um, and, we're talking about just like, oh my gosh, that is crazy. I can't imagine what would happen if like Kirby died. Like, you know, and we're talking about like, holy moly. And we were very seriously because she said, like, if something happened to my husband, I would immediately have to call your husband to help me figure out what, where is my retirement? What do I own? What do I, what bill, what? And I'm like, yep, Kirby would be there for you. I would totally have to call your husband. And then that's where I think we must've been drinking. I don't think we were high. I'm pretty sure it was just kind of the sadness and overwhelming of like thinking about what that reality would be that it turned into. I'd be like, because I have no idea who has my money. And we joked about like walking around um, to different financial advisors and being like, do you have my money? Do you have my retirement? And we came up with a really good book idea. Kirby doesn't think it's a good idea, but he, you know, as with your best friend, I'm sure your husband doesn't think your best friend and your ideas are quite as good as you guys realize the genius that them are. But we're like, we should write a book. And it's like the Are You My Mother book where the little bird walks around. It's like walking up to a crane and being like, are you my mother? Right. It's like that, except for widows who have 
not taken any financial freedom or literacy and empowerment um, and just find themselves like walking around going, do you have my 401k? We were laughing and crying, um, laughing tears of like the absolute ridiculousness but shit reality. So today I like having, bringing it back to Mal slash Beyonce. Um, this is, this is part of her why of like, ha ha ha, funny. You would be a widow who had no idea what your money has been doing, where it is or any of that. But like, maybe let's start making that less of the norm and let's getting, um, women in on, the conversation of money, especially since a lot of you might be the breadwinner um, or at least like the cupcake baker, because uh, that that's my way of saying like you both contribute like you're instead of like one piece of bread, you're both making cupcake. I don't know. I, I just wung it. I don't think that's going to stick with people. So anyways, let's pray and get down to money talk. Dear God, oh, we're talking about money. The Bible like has so many negative things to say about money and there's so much money mindset stuff. And like, it is really hard to balance this, this place as a, as a Christian, as a spiritual being, as a, a source of love and light for the world of like wanting to make money and balancing the guilt of that, um, so be with us as we change this conversation that money is not evil. Money, getting money does not turn people bad. Um, and that you can be a jerk when you're broke and you can be a jerk when you're rich and everything in between there. But that money can be something to liberate us from stress and can be a way that we can support the world that we can be a part of carrying out some of our deepest, our deepest soul's mission that you've placed in each of us. And a lot of times we need to get past our own stress of providing for ourselves and our family before we can, before we feel like we can turn outward. And so just be with each of us today as we talk about money and help us release any baggage that we have brought into the conversation around money, around debt, um, and let us just learn and be here and absorb what is uh, the lesson of the conversation and take it with us going forward. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, here is my conversation with Mal, the money coach on financial literacy. Um, and so my like credibility is really just what improving my financial literacy has done to change my life. And well, I was going to ask, like, how did you get into this? Is it your person? Well, first of all, what is your nine to five? Yeah. Um, so I work in tech and I work in app development. So I am a product marketing manager and, um, you work for Instagram. Can you like get me in on like, don't work for Instagram. All right, fine. I publicly share where I work just for privacy reasons. Um, but I work in tech, uh, I work in app development and I'm a senior product marketing manager. But the funny thing about it is, um, I graduated with a fashion degree and I had a terrible GPA. So I was not <laughs> in college. Uh, yeah, I was, my parents got divorced the year that I was going to college. So I was kind of lost, like 
a lot of 18 year olds have no idea what they're doing Mm -hmm. when they go to college. That was me. And I was kind of lost and changed my major multiple times and ended up graduating with a fashion degree and had a few bumpy semesters along the way. Um, And so that's part of my, my personal finance journey and improving my financial literacy was realizing that there is so much potential beyond like what your resume says and what your GPA mm-hmm. was in college. And that's how I went from, I had one job offer out of college. I had to move to Topeka, Kansas in the middle of nowhere. I was making $45,000 a year. And um, since then have been able to scale out of that industry. I was working in fashion, continue to build on my skill set, transfer my skill set. into. Wait, you moved to Topeka for a fashion Topeka, Kansas. Cool. Yeah. Payless shoe source. They're now. You're like, I'm going to move to New York. It's going to be amazing. And you're like, no. Yeah. I was in Topeka, Kansas, working for Payless shoe source, which is now bankrupt. So that really tells you where my story is. You did a bad job then. Yeah. No. No. You to save Payless shoes. I could not save it. No. Yeah. It it was probably already a sinking ship when I joined. I got out and I got out before the bankruptcy, but. Um, anyways, that's just kind of level sets of like where I started. Yeah. Um, I truly, you know, I'm not a, someone that's like super smart and like started off making six figures or, you know, was some, you know, Goldman Sachs analyst or something like that. I am your like average girl next door who used to be a material girl and mm-hmm. really just focused hours and hours and years of my life on improving my financial literacy because I remember getting my first paycheck, you know, after taxes and everything, when you're getting paid $45,000 a year, it's nothing. And I was living on my own. I had my own rent to pay all the things. Um, and I was just like, wow, I, I, I don't want to live my life like this. And so little by little, I worked on improving my financial literacy over time. Oh my gosh. I started with Dave Ramsey, Rich Dad. I was going to say, so like what kind of things were you? Yeah. So I started, um, basically what kicked it off for me was looking at my first page. I can thinking, okay, um, how can I increase my earning potential in life? And then secondly, sitting down in my little cubicle and opening up my 401k, I had a company 401k, they provided a match. So I knew enough that I needed to contribute to that. And I remember sitting in my little gross cubicle and looking at the Wells Fargo 401k account and thinking, what in the world is, what in the world does all of this mean? Like, did I miss a class in school? I did not learn any of this. And uh, that is when I was really triggered to figure it out. Like, it really made me realize like, wow, we do not learn really anything about personal finance in school, right. uh, really anything that helps you prepare for your adult life when it comes to money. Think buying a home, investing, all of those things that nobody talks about. And so I took it upon myself to figure it out. Um, like I, I just basically told myself, I'm not going to, I don't want to live my life this way. This doesn't feel good not knowing and being in the dark and so I started with Dave Ramsey, uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Uh, that book was actually a college graduation present to me that I read. Uh, just started listening to any resources I, I could get my hands on, podcasts, YouTube videos. So spent a lot of time digging in and figuring out my own finances um, and learning along the way. I will say I spent a couple years kind of living that paycheck to paycheck life. So like while I was learning and while I was contributing a percentage to my retirement account, 
I wasn't really doing well. And then there was a wake up call at Payless Shoe Source. As you can imagine, the turmoil with management when the company is not performing well and I'm, right. you know, bottom of the totem pole. Uh, I There was a day at work where basically a, a director from another team, I did not work for her. I did not work on her team. Uh, I just happened to be in this little sample room with her after a very, very stressful meeting. And she just completely outlashed on me. And uh, she had asked me what started it was she asked me my thoughts on this meeting that we had just left. And it was like a three hour marketing meeting. It basically completely turned upside down. Senior leaders were cussing in the meeting. It was toxic. And she asked me my thoughts on the meeting and I very respectfully replied and said, well, uh, I think it's a sign that we have some cultural issues. <laughs> and she just completely railed into me and said, you will make it nowhere in your life if you don't toughen up and get thicker skin and just completely railed into me for answering the question truthfully. And I left that room crying and driving home from work at this time, I had been improving my financial literacy, but I was still living paycheck to paycheck. I wasn't really saving like I should be. I didn't have an emergency fund. Basically, all I was doing was contributing to my retirement and paying my bills. And it was a minimal amount that I was contributing to my retirement. So I'm driving home and I'm crying and I'm just thinking, wow, it just, it hit me. I just got like thoroughly disrespected. And I have to return to this office tomorrow with a chipper face and a smile walking in. And I have to work with this woman like nothing happened and still follow her orders. She wasn't my my leader, like I said, but we worked cross-functionally with her. And I just remembered, I didn't like that feeling. Mm -hmm. Like if someone, if a leader treated me that way today, I would politely resign on the spot because I can. I have a fully funded emergency fund. And for the sake of my mental health, I don't have to deal with that. Is that at that like, time? Yeah. So like, is that what people, cause I feel like the uh, phrase financial freedom yeah. is thrown around a lot yeah. and it's nice. Like you asked, it's, it's great because I could throw it out on the gram and be like, who wants more financial freedom? And 100% yeah. of people would say yes. But yes. like, is that like a living example of what you would say like financial freedom is, or is there? Yes. So there's two terms. That's a living example of financial freedom. My definition of financial freedom is being able to make choices that const that constantly align with your life values because of the way mm. that you have your personal finances organized. So for example, if you have a fully funded emergency fund, which it kind of depends on your risk, but six months-ish expenses is average for an emergency fund. If you have a fully funded emergency fund and your job is very toxic, you have the freedom to be able to walk away mm -hmm. and not stress about it. If you have, as a woman, if you are engaged in your personal finances, if you have the financial literacy to know what's going on with your money um, and feel comfortable managing money, 
you have the freedom to walk away from a relationship that might be abusive. Oh, I didn't even think about that aspect because one of my questions for you is like, how did you, you know, why the focus on women? Um, But like, yeah, I, there are so, it just kind of is this thing where you're like, I don't know. And I feel dumb because like my husband does all of our finances. But no, you're good. Don't worry, everybody. I'm happy. Um, yeah. <laughs> people. It's like, not. Awesome. how did that just become a thing that like the men just do it? Yeah. So I primarily focus on women just because I see a lot of progress for women in many aspects of our society. I think the medical field, there's been so much progress. Uh, I think I was listening to one of your podcasts and you shared a statistic now of the increase in women who are in the chiropractic yeah. space. It's amazing. Um, we're seeing a lot of progress, women in politics, all of those things. When it comes to finance, we're not seeing that same progress. And that is why I focus on women. Um, I. Well, personal finance just feels complicated. It feels foreign. It feels boring. I totally get it. But there's a reason why women need to be involved. And the main reasons are, um, for me, I'm pulling up like this post. I mean, maybe you can edit this. (laughs) When uneducated, you're very vulnerable. Yeah. Uh, If something were to happen to your partner, you're going to have a lot of anxiety about money management and you can easily be taken advantage of. So if you have no idea what's going on inside your accounts and why, or maybe you have someone hired, but you still can't really, like your husband just does it all and you're not financially literate enough to be able to articulate exactly why things are in the places that they are, you're going to be very vulnerable mm-hmm. if something were to happen to your partner who does manage it. And unfortunately, there are a lot of industries out there that capitalize on the lack of financial literacy and they can sniff it from a mile away. Hey, She Slayers. So many of you connect with my story as a chiropractor because I started all wrong. Years into practice, I had to completely turn it around from being an insurance and pain-based model to a thriving subluxation-based cash practice. I have a lot of ways that that happened, but I am not exaggerating when I say the number one thing I changed was adding CLA's Insight scanning technology. The Insight helped grow our practice from 300 people a week to over 500 a week in the course of one year, purely by showing objective findings and providing reports to patients. So many docs I talk to struggle to communicate the why behind a care plan when the patient's pain goes away in a few visits. They struggle to keep patients after insurance stops paying. They don't know how to explain why a kid benefits from chiropractic care, even though they have no symptoms. They don't do progress exams because what am I going to do to show the patient progress? I am telling you every single thing I just said, my answer to the doc is, Are you using insight scanning technology in your clinic yet? Because it's the solution to all of those issues. If you have questions, the staff at CLA is absolutely incredible and will help answer those questions and help implement this big change into your practice. Click the link below in the show notes as She Slays listeners get preferred pricing and hundreds of dollars off their purchase. 
just like you can tell. I think someone's talking. Giveaway would be me calling the one eight hundred number and being like, "I think my husband has given is storing some of my money with you. Can you confirm if you have my money, please?" It'd be like, "Okay, sure, (laughs) ma'am." Yeah, and so that's where there's some risk, Um, and unfortunately, there are some great financial planners out there. There are also some, a lot of not so great ones, a lot, a lot that are, you have to remember, this is their job. What they do with your money is how they make money. Mm -hmm. So if you aren't completely engaged in financial literate to be able to ask the right questions and be able to kind of see around corners to what they're doing with your money, you're susceptible for being taken advantage of. And so I focus on financial literacy and learning the ins and outs of those things. If you want to go hire a professional, obviously do it. Uh, But your financial literacy and hiring someone to manage your money are two completely separate things. And there's just a massive lack of emphasis on personal finance, basic economics, and our financial literacy in our education system. So that is why I focus on that in my business. And particularly focused on women. The other reasons why I focus on women too, is just like on the note of vulnerability, financial abuse is real. And many don't even realize that it's occurring. So women are oftentimes more susceptible to this because either the male is the breadwinner in the family or uh, just manages all the money. And it's a lot easier for them to practice financial abuse and it may not even feel like financial abuse but there's a level of controlling that can occur when you aren't financially literate as a woman when you're going through when women go through divorce or separation research actually shows that women incur far greater financial loss and hardship and i believe that statistic is the way it is just because many women are so naive to finances which gives the partner the ability to capitalize on that during the separation. And Mm -hmm. women may not even know that it's occurring. Right. Um, Like for example, a lot of women, you know, our nature, if you have children and you're going through a separation, your focus is going to be on the health of your children, primarily, probably. A lot of women, for example, um, will give up investments that have far greater ROIs over time to keep the house. And, yeah. Yes, it's how a house yeah. is great. Everyone is wanting to make the head. house, keep the kids like yes. Yeah. But the a primary home is not considered a good investment. It's not a bad investment, but it's not considered a good investment on the grand scheme of investments when you look at the ROI over time. Your money in your stock, the stock market, money in investment real estate or a 401k, that has a far greater ROI over time than your primary home. A lot of women will give up investments in those other areas so they can just get the primary home and the kids or whatever. And that's what they're focused on. And they don't realize the impact that that will have on them over time. Um, And so anyways, that's another reason why I focus on women specifically. And last but not least, women have longer life expectancy than men. Therefore, we need more money invested for retirement. And that's important to understand too. Mm -hmm. Um, okay. So obviously a lot of the listeners are chiropractors. Yeah. They graduate with a ton of debt. Yep. And I want to talk about student debt, but first I want to talk mm-hmm. like, cause you're bringing up 401ks. Um, yeah. so we come out, we have this debt. 
we have no emergency fund. A lot of us are mm-hmm. like, and now I want to spend, I'm going to spend more to like start a practice. Yep. <laughs> Where, how, like early on after graduation, how do you recommend we prioritize like the emergency fund, the investing in the 401k or Roth? Mm-hmm. That's a different thing, I think. No, I know You're it right. is. Right. I know it's a different thing. I just don't know what the hell it is. Um, <laughs> and student loans. Like, yeah. how do we walk that tightrope? Yeah, that's a really great question. And while I'm not a chiropractor, I am familiar with that exact scenario that you just gave. I actually, my chiropractor is one of my clients. I no longer do one-on-one coaching, but there are, there are some people who I do offer to work with and we, you know, kind of work together. So mm-hmm. she, she helps me, I help her, you know, how that rolls. Um, but anyway, so I'm, I'm very familiar with what that scenario looks like. I mean, yeah. I have seen it all on paper and I'm actually helping someone move through that right now. Here is how I look at it from A to Z. So you just graduated as you described, you've got all this student loan debt, you're uh, investing in a practice, which the ROI of that long-term is great. So awesome, far better than going to work for someone else, right? Right. And um, you also want to think about investing for your future. So number one, emergency fund should be your first priority just because once you get that in place, it's like a set it and forget it. And it's going to be your safety net for anything that goes awry. How do you feel so, about, quick question though. Okay. Yeah. Uh, how do you feel about like, let's say I finished chiropractic school and I didn't spend all the money that the government gave me. And I've got like $20,000 left that the government gave me that they will yeah. ask back. But like, can I just go like burp, emergency fund? Depends on the interest rate. Okay. Um, I would say I personally wouldn't do that because you're going to put emergency fund. I recommend putting emergency funds in a high yield savings account. Your emergency fund needs to be liquid and accessible. If you get in, you know, heaven forbid, a tragic accident and you need to pull from your emergency fund, an emergency fund is there to cover the unexpected things in life. They're inevitable, but they're unexpected. And it's there to cover you to ensure that you're A, covered, and B, you don't have so much financial stress and anxiety when those things occur. So you're going to keep an emergency fund in a high-yield savings account because it needs to be liquid. Mm -hmm. I recommend putting in a high-yield savings account because those pay higher interest than your traditional savings account. Get the best interest possible. The reason why I wouldn't take the money from the government and move it there is because your loan is probably at a rent interest rate or most likely at an interest rate that's higher than what your high yield savings account is going to pay. So that doesn't really, mm-hmm. it's not a tick for tack. Um, I would recommend give it back that. and earn it. Yeah. The, uh, give it back, real way. earn it and put it in place. Um, now I do want to talk about how to determine your risk tolerance. Cause I do think that's important. If you're starting your practice, you know, your personal emergency fund, Uh, Your practice is a business, right? That's totally separate from your personal finances. Think about your emergency fund at your level of risk tolerance. So for example, four months would be the low end. Four months of bare bones expenses would be the low end of what you need to have an emergency fund. One year of bare bones expenses would be the highest if you're like super high risk. Bare bones expenses is pretty much exactly what it sounds like, your bare bones expenses, what you need to keep the lights on in your house, what you need to pay your mortgage, your rent, uh, your minimum payments on loans if you have them, and your, you know, obviously 
cost of living when it comes to food and things like that on a monthly basis. That's your bare bones expenses. You're going to cut things like your gym membership or other more frivolous spending if, if you really are in a tight position. So four months to a year bare bones expenses. Someone who might be at the four months range means they're very low, low risk. This might be a single individual, has no dependents. They don't have a dog. They don't have kids. They don't have a house. Um, when you rent and the air conditioning goes out, that's not on you. Mm -hmm. So your risk is lower. And therefore, their risk is pretty low. They only have to worry about, you know, covering themselves. And they, they don't have high risk in other areas. Someone who might be higher risk and need closer to that one year bare bones expenses might be someone who is the sole income earner in the family. There are multiple dependents, maybe a spouse, a couple of kids, a dog. They own a home. I'm getting rid of my dog. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, we love dogs. Um, but dogs should be, you know, thanks. Dogs, you never know. I always laugh. I'm like, I'm rolling up to the vet. The vet could tell me I owe $400 or $4,000 today, and I'm going to pay it either way. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So that's how I think about what your emergency fund needs to be in your level of risk. Um, my husband and I, for example, we don't have kids. We both work full time, but our living expenses can be covered by one person's salary. So it would take like both people losing their jobs at the mm -hmm. same time for us to really be in a bind. So we keep five months of bare bones expenses in our emergency fund. And that is sufficient for our risk. That's a lot of money to save though. It is. It is. But you set it and you forget it. Yes, um, you have to it. think oh, about you. Like I'm picturing you yeah. know, again, you start a practice, like, are you picturing people putting away? Okay. So let's just say somebody calculates doo -doo 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 -doo, mm -hmm. and uh, $5,000 yeah. is what they should put away. Mm -hmm. I mean, that could take a year, two years to save while you're trying to pay your bills, still paying your bills and grow a practice, putting money into the practice. And now student loans are being asked for like that could take a while it could it could and I hear your point but I would ask this question back what would it look like if you incurred an emergency expense and you didn't have that money to cover it and how would that impact your mental health and your financial stress right what it would probably look like is you swiping a credit card to cover it mm -hmm. if you don't have that money saved it's probably going to look like you swiping a credit card to cover it, which is 18 to 20% interest that you're now adding on. It's a snowball against you. So while it's really hard up front and many people struggle with prioritizing emergency fund, it's one of those things you just grind it through and get it out of the way. Um, if you want to go on the lower risk side of, you know, four months expenses just to get something in place, that's fine. You judge your risk tolerance. Mm -hmm. But the reason why it's so important is just because the unexpected will happen at some point in life. Look at COVID for an example. Yeah, Your income can be impacted overnight. You never know what can happen. And that emergency fund is going to prevent you from taking on more debt that is just going to work against you aggressively in those times. And once you put get an emergency fund in place, it's like I said, set it and forget it. Like you don't okay. have to worry about it unless you dip into it. Right. Um, and then so you're talking about like just funding. the first six months of practice, yeah. you know, like just 
make that priority one. And then like, okay, yeah. now you can move on. Yeah. And then you have that financial peace of mind too. It's like, mm-hmm. um, we actually, my husband and I used our emergency fund a few months ago. We were on vacation and learned via our dog sitter that our air conditioner went out. Um, we had someone go out to service it. It ended up being a brand new air conditioner. Um, we had just spent a good amount of money in, in purchasing an investment property. So we didn't have like all this open cash flow. We were closing on a property. Um, how do you Airbnb it? it? Uh, no. So we do long-term rentals. I was going to say, don't rentals. Airbnb. It sucks. You have to deal with so many people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We do long-term family rentals, but it was just a great example of how, had we not had it in place, we would have been sitting on vacation like sweating bullets, ruining our vacation, thinking about how we're going to come up with the $5,000 to get a whole new air conditioner in our house. Yep. What the reality was, was we sat in our chairs by the pool, kept drinking our drink and was like, well, we got the emergency fund. Everything's going to be fine. Yep. And that peace of mind is invaluable when things like that happen. It's so invaluable. The second you have to swipe a credit card to pay for an unexpected expense like that, it's it's going to impact your mental health probably for a good amount of time because it just adds more, more to the pile that works against you and it's not worth it. Yeah. Hi friends. I wanted to take a quick break from the episode to make sure you all know about the cool stuff we have happening over on Patreon. This is a platform where I can offer you extra content, behind the scenes interviews, quick trainings, and exclusive trainings answering your exact question live back to back with me. It's a way for me to more directly interact with you and post some fun things that would never be in the normal weekly episodes. To check out what we're doing and to sign up, click the link in the show notes. Okay, let's now pivot to student loans. Yeah. So um, we are moving this episode up in the light queue. You're skipping past a bunch of episodes. You know, um, because- I feel so- honored I don't, I, know. I don't know what to say I guess I know <laughs> your words coming in the mail um because there's been a lot so my just to give you a frame of reference so you don't think wow she really has no idea what's going on although that is true also um <laughs> we paid off our loans let's see I graduated in 2010 and we we spent a year messing it up and then we got down to business paid them down in, so 2016 so we haven't had to pay attention to like what's been going on over the last that's couple amazing years. hey yeah. you yeah. like that's huge yeah it was it was a lot it was like 100 and, well I think I came out at 175,000 and then like I said we did like some income-based repayment for a year and then like a year later it was like up to 176 and we're like wait what's going on and then that's when we got really smart and that's how that interest works against you as you know which is why I'm just such a fan of like Get that emergency fund in place first. You don't want to get anything else tacked onto your pile of interest that's working against you. So what has been going on for the last, like with the pandemic and then what recently has like Congress or Biden or people that are more powerful than me decided? Yeah, Yeah, totally. So since March of 2020, the federal student loan payments have been on pause. You have not been required to make payments and your student loans have not been incurring interest at that time. This has never happened before in history. So it's a really unprecedented 
time period now for over two years that federal student loans have not been incurring interest, which is amazing for federal student loan borrowers. It's given an opportunity for them to attack student loans and the payments go directly towards principal, which is huge. Uh, and also an extended period of time where that interest is not snowballing against you. Right. I think about the people who we were just talking about who might need to be, be establishing an emergency fund. What an incredible two-year window. That would have been a great to, time, people. Hope you Yeah, were I mean, what an incredible two-year window to get to work on getting some of those other things in place first while your student loans aren't working against you. And there's still four months. So the payment pause and the interest uh, the pause on interest is going through the end of the year. Uh, but then we'll start. Biden did announce just this week. That is the final extension. Yeah. yeah. Do you believe it? Do you believe yeah. it? I do. He told me it. COVID was going to go away two weeks after in March. So, yeah. hey, it is it is uh, it's hard to it's hard to believe things. Right. But I do believe it will be the final extension um, just with the current economy and the job market, there's not a lot of argument for extending it again. Um, and like it or not, the reality is interest on student loans is a source of income for the government mm -hmm. that they quite frankly need. And uh, I anticipate that, that he is truthful in saying that this is the final extension be prepared for your loans to turn back on in 2022. The interest is going to start rolling again, and you're going to need to um, begin making at least your minimum payments. Right. So that is what has happened for the past two years. Quite frankly, most of the extensions, in my opinion, have been for political reasons. I was going to say, conveniently. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm a libertarian, so I'm never. I mean, yeah, I'm not taking party sides here, but on both sides. I mean, think about it. Right before the 2020 election, Trump extended it. Yeah. Ooh, yeah, of course. Yeah. And then, yeah. you know, Biden's been doing his thing. This big announcement that just yeah. came last week is conveniently right before midterms. Right before, yeah. Um, yeah. So, hello, welcome to politics, the world we live in. So a lot of this has been political, first of all. I, I really do think that, like I said, this is the final. So be prepared. Mm -hmm. Your interest is going to start again. And 2022, you're going to need to begin making at least 2023. Oh, yes. My gosh, 2023. <laughs> what world am I living in? 2023. I think I said 2022 like three times earlier. It's okay. Sorry, Sorry guys. Okay. Um, so, so then what was from the one. announcements? Yeah. Yeah. So that's number one. The second part of the announcement was that certain federal student loan buyers, borrowers under income thresholds, which are $125,000 for single individuals and $250,000 for those that are married filing jointly, will receive $10,000 in forgiveness on their federal student loans. And that has been announced. It is in place. It was signed to be an executive order. There's obviously a lot of opinions on it, but mine are this. If you have student loans and you are eligible for this $10,000 forgiveness or a wave on your student loans, whatever you want to call it. I'm happy for you. And I want you to really think about how you can make money moves to your advantage. Don't be the average American who sadly will say, yeah, yippee, $10,000 left I owe now and go buy a new car, spend a bunch of money on Amazon. No, 
think through how you will use this to your advantage. This is really unprecedented. It's never happened before, just like the interest pause. So I want people to be debt-free. That's a mission of mine. And if you are able to take this to accelerate your journey to becoming debt-free, take advantage. Make sure that you don't use this as just like, extra spending money or whatever. And then you look back in 10 years and are like, wow, I didn't even use that unprecedented opportunity to help myself. So many people though, like, so so many listeners have like $250,000. Exactly. Yeah. So 10,000 is a drop in the bucket. And they're like, huh, well, that really didn't do much, but like, how would they maximize this? Yeah. Yeah. I get it. $10,000 is a drop in the bucket for many, specifically with advanced medical degrees and things of that nature. Um, At the end of the day, though, $10,000 is $10,000. Whether you have a student loan balance of $20,000 or you have a student loan balance of $300,000, $10,000 is a good amount of money. Well, I just saw something on where I get all my great information uh, was on Instagram, but they actually broke it down. Um, Let me see. Okay. So I had it pulled up. So they said like, okay, so let's say the average chiropractor owes 262 and um, they take this $10,000 off the total cost. They end up paying over 16 years was like 275. Which mm-hmm. that seems really low because I've seen, but then they said like okay two sixty two minus this ten thousand dollars was actually like turned out to be two hundred eight thousand so the ten thousand dollars that was given to them actually ended up saving them like sixty seven thousand dollars does that make sense because so I'm tracking a little bit I would have to look at the math they're probably track um. It sounds like what they're doing is looking at that $10,000 and the amount of interest that that's saving over time, right? Because your interest is applied to your principal. So it's, yes, $10,000 is taken off your principal. In addition to that, you're saving, I hate to call it saving because interest is still working against you, but you're reducing the interest that you owe over time because interest is applied to principal. So that sounds like that's where they got that calculation, which makes sense. And it could just be, they could just be dummies and I know sometimes like, I hate to say this. I, I really, really vet my stripe, vet my stuff that I post on the internet because as I've gotten more engaged in providing educational content on the internet, I have learned how many people out there provide educational content that is not correct. Right. <laughs> well, don't worry. Instagram is fighting it. Uh, or Facebook. Yeah. I was, oh, no, we're going to get back to money in a second. This is just the funniest example of like fact checking. I was going through stories and somebody posted this thing that like sunflowers, when it's not a sunny day, turn towards each other and like whatever. Yes. And Facebook wanted me that to is know true. that is not true. Facebook really? checked it. It is not true. And I'm like, thank you, Facebook, for okay. making sure that the inspirational sunflower meme that was being shared, I didn't have any hope. Never that mind. No funny. cute story received. Anyway. That is funny. I actually would have, I, I mean, I don't know anything about sunflowers, but I actually would have thought that was true. <laughs> I was like, who at Facebook is like, no. 
that is too nope it's wrong we must crush the soul so anyways back to money i just thought that was funny like back checking yeah, there's a lot of false information yeah there is but the, the example that you gave i would assume what they're looking at is the total savings over time because the principal balance is being lowered by 10,000 you're not only getting that $10,000 reduction but your principal balance is now lower which impacts the interest that you're going to pay over time mhm um, now, has any change happened with like overall forgiveness? Like the big mean by grand, like, like the big granddaddy thing is like people getting, um, cause like some people have a 20 year forgiveness, right? And then there's also like a 25 year forgiveness. Oh, if you do like income driven repayment yeah. um, and things of that nature as of right now, no. Okay. And it's really the $10,000 or if you did. Uh, if you were eligible for Pell Grants, which are typically, um, you know, lower income households that are, I'm looking for the right word right now, um, eligible for additional financial aid, mm-hmm. Pell Grants, you are getting 20, if you were eligible for Pell Grants, you're getting $20,000 off of, or a reduction, forgiveness off of your student loans. And the idea behind that was really just, anyone that was eligible for a Pell Grant was already lower income. And so they want to help them more. Got it. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Because I was like, wait, wait, wait. Okay. So here's the thing though, that I'm, so you said like, all right, student or percentage interest percentage is coming back on. The government needs that money. Uh, Yep. But the government is the one who just took the, gave everybody the $10,000 off and also, isn't the government kind of why my tuition is so expensive in the yeah. first place? Can yeah. we talk about that? Yes, we can talk about this. Um, yes, really great questions. I'm going to address all of them kind of in three parts. Perfect. First and foremost, I want to reiterate as I go through this, I am extremely happy for everyone who received this $10,000 or $20,000 yeah. reduction to their student loans. Like, I want people to be debt-free. I am cheering for you. This is a Mario Kart speed boost in your student loan game. My husband and I, like, we took money, not took money. We took the money the government was giving out during the pandemic. Simultaneously, my husband was like, this is dumb that they are giving out, but like, we're going to take it. So yes, take your money. We're all very happy for you. So yeah, exactly. But to answer your questions, what is discouraging to me is this solution does not solve the student loan problem Mm-mm. at all Mm-mm. um okay so to back up to your point our government is in 30 trillion dollars of debt right now which at this point like what's another boat let's just buy another yacht and- <laughs> exactly the problem is Excessive spending on all fronts, whether it be student loan forgiveness, whether it be PPE, PPE loans, other bailouts, whatever it is, excessive spending on all fronts is problematic for the long-term economy. The more we deficit spend, the more that the U.S. dollar is at risk over the long term, the more inflation is fueled, and the more we owe other countries that hold our debt such as China. China is, we owe the most money to China. We owe them trillions of dollars. Uh, Japan is number two. We also owe Japan trillions of dollars. So 
while a lot of people say kind of to your point, oh, what's another drop of the bucket? The issue or what makes me uncomfortable is that the rate at which our deficit spending has increased over the past 10 years is really concerning. And it's happened on both both sides, both parties. Mm-hmm. This is not just one one side of the game here. You know, some have been worse than others. But the lack of acknowledgement around it is concerning to me for younger adults such as you and I and for future generations such as our children and grandchildren. Um, my personal opinion, it makes me uncomfortable knowing that we owe trillions of dollars to a country that does not even allow their citizens to get on Google. So that is a concern that people have when there are the financial freedom. Yes. Right. Like that is, you know, the United States. We get financially free from China. Exactly. The United States, you know, really needs to get on a a budget, but a logical one. Um, I use the Congressional Budget Office as a resource for this type of information and the impact of our federal debt and federal deficit. For anyone who is not aware, the Congressional Budget Office office is a bipartisan organization that all they do is analyze our federal budget and how different policies impact that budget. And they're committed to a transparent point of view. So if you go to the CBO.gov right now and look at their analysis of our deficit spending and the federal debt, they will tell you. And they articulate very well that this is concerning. Here are the impacts uh, that can have to the long-term economy. And the things, the two major things that they point out is uh, this type of debt and deficit spending will make life more expensive for Americans over time, increases inflation, X, Y, and Z. And it also impacts our net income as a country because we owe so much to other people. So while I guess it's another drop in the bucket, um, excessive spending on all fronts like I said, not just student loans, you know, you think about all of the other areas that we excessively spend is I think something that people really need to perk up and be more aware of how that might impact their life, their children's lives over the long term. So that's number one. And the reason why a lot of people and I as well, I'm a little bit discouraged by the $10,000 forgiveness is it doesn't solve the problem. Mm -hmm. Like you said, the cost of higher education is the problem. And the cost of higher education over time has dramatically outpaced inflation. If you look at the trend in the cost of higher education adjusted for inflation in 1980, one year of college costs $12,400. That's adjusted for inflation today. Today, and this is like an undergraduate degree, one year of college costs $35,000. The cost of college tuition is just insane, the increase over time. So the issue or what discourages me is that I am not hearing strategic conversation around how we actually fix the problem, Mm -hmm. which is the cost of higher education. This $10,000 forgiveness is fabulous for people that currently have debt but the high school seniors that are graduating next year are going to get right back into this cycle yeah and it's the government that so like talk about like how the government backs up right like 
how it's like yeah. they back up the federal loans, right? Like that's exactly. Why. Yeah. So the loans are owned by the Department of Education, which is a branch of the federal government. And a sh- well, they're guaranteed, right? Or subsidized. There's there's words thrown in there. Yes. And so they own the federal student loans that they're lending out to borrowers. They, you know, charge the interest behind the scenes. And that interest that they charge is a source of income mm-hmm. for the federal government. Now, it's income that you can't really classify it as a profit because we're in so much debt. So it's just this kind of perpetual hamster wheel of a problem right? that to me, it's just discouraging that we are not, I am not hearing strategic conversations from the White House around how we're actually fixing the problem, you know, shoveling out money to current student loan debt borrowers is awesome for them. But in five years, we're going to be in the exact same space. And, and, you know, the people that are graduating and still taking on loans are, are going to be in the exact same space, you know, taking on this excessive debt with the cost of college just being astronomically high. So correct me if I'm wrong, because like, ultimately, if I'm a college and I'm currently charging Mm -hmm. $35,000 and I decide that next year I want to charge $45,000, the government like kind of guarantees that it's going to give my applicants enough money Whatever I say the tuition is, they're going to be like, well, that's what they said the tuition is. So here's your loan amount, right? Yeah, that's correct. Which that's the super fucked up part where it's like, I, I don't know how I would solve it. Nobody's asked me yet. So I'm glad. But like, it seems like the government could air quotes, simply go, Hey, colleges, if you want to keep increasing your tuition, um, go ahead, but just so you know, we're only matching the rate of inflation for increase in tuition. So that means that if you want to go from 35,000 to 45,000, I hope your applicants have a way to fund this besides us, because we're only going to increase tuition 3% or whatever inflation yeah. is. Yeah, no, you make a really good point. I, I don't have all of the answers either. But that's just what, as I said, discouraging to me is those aren't the conversations that I'm hearing our politicians talk about on both sides. And um, it's it's that's what's tough to me. I'm doing what I can to help solve the problem. Another big piece of the problem is that student loans are predatory. They are. And the reason why they are is because there is a lack of emphasis on personal finance education and basic economics Mm -hmm. in our public education system and high school, et cetera. So you've got a laughable questionnaire that financially illiterate 18 year olds are filling out and signing up for these student loans. I think one way that we can do a better job of prohibiting the predatoriness, if that's a word, of the student loans is doing a better job of educating our citizens in our education system when it comes to personal finance and basic economics. That I think right there would eliminate some of the 
lifelong student loan debt that people get into simply because they don't realize that the degree that they are choosing does not have a positive ROI against their loans. Oh my gosh. That's terrifying. Yes. Okay. Um, we have to get you to your job. You're good. So. We got more time, girl. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, tell people where they can. Okay. First of all, I had an idea for you. I can't do this because I don't have the skills, but yeah. like you should create a course on financial literacy specifically for a like senior in college or high school or yeah. like graduate and then market that to like parents and grandparents to gift to their senior type of I know uh yes I've, I've well, thought about I'm gonna try I have to thought about idea. this it's really <laughs> smart I know I'm adding that to my list so I actually uh I did used to do one-on-one coaching I don't any longer um because I focused all of my energy into my course and the group coaching that comes with that Okay. While I'm still, while I'm still working my, my full-time right, job, right, right. Um, I, I hope things will change one day and I can broaden my offering. Um, but when I was doing one-on-one coaching, I actually did have several parents that hired me for their high school students. And it was really powerful, the education that I was able to provide. So that is something that is on my list. Yeah. I love your ideas. It's on the list. Okay. So how do non-college or high school seniors work with you? How do those of us that are like, okay, what do I do with this money? Totally. Uh, Number one, follow me on Instagram at feeling financial freedom. I also have a TikTok. If you're a TikToker, I am definitely more active on Instagram, but at feeling financial freedom in both places, I provide a lot of free content just online Mm -hmm. that is a great, resource for people to follow that's not your you know influencer that's uh encouraging you to spend money so I also keep life very real on my Instagram page that is a value of mine I am personally sick and tired of just the highlight reels and the influencers with their crazy nice houses all the time and I just found that people are over that it doesn't make you feel great and so I keep life really real on my Instagram, in addition to providing some really solid personal finance tips. So you can follow me there for some free content, entertainment, whatever you want to call it. Secondly, I have created a course that is called Feel Your Fortune. And this course is the A to Z of investing in the stock market and a high level overview of investing in real estate. So a little bit about me. My husband and I have not inherited money. I did not marry rich. We started in very low earning jobs. We don't have advanced degrees or anything savvy. Um, Our financial literacy has been able to get us where we are today. We currently have enough invested in the stock market. If we did not invest another penny, we would retire with multi-millions at age 60. And... We also own three rental properties. So we have three duplexes. They're long-term rentals here in the Kansas City area. They provide solid monthly cash flow and obviously will appreciate over time um, in our great investments as well. So we have we are truly like your average Joes off the street that have just focused on improving our financial literacy while increasing income. And we've invested our money, live beneath our means, 
We still spend, we're not like super crazy frugal people that don't enjoy life. We still spend in the areas where we see value, but we're realistic and we focus on investing most of our money. So my course teaches anyone, primarily women, um, as that's my target audience, but the A to Z of getting started investing, um, even through more advanced investment strategies, such as early retirement strategies, investing for entrepreneurs, that segment of the course would probably be very valuable to Mm -hmm. your audience who owns their own practices. Um, A lot of people don't understand the options they have when it comes to retirement vehicles, when you don't work for a company that provides a 401k, for example. So this, my course is truly the A to Z, starting from how literally how the stock market works, all of the vocabulary along with it, there's a whole vocabulary uh, glossary that I call it that comes with it that really just explains, you know, here's the foreign language that nobody teaches you about in school when it comes to investing and all of the definitions. So it is a video led course, walks you through the A to Z of investing from, okay, here's how you understand the stock market. Here's where you start. Here's how to think about investing. There's a whole module that's kind of how to think about investing if you have debt and how to balance that. Then it gets into retirement investing, which should be everyone's number one priority. I see the biggest mistakes in some young investors is they get real into like crypto or or other things before they get their retirement in order and everyone's got to retire and you should take advantage of your tax advantage retirement accounts before anything else. Mm -hmm. So there's a whole retirement module. Then it gets into uh, investing for children. If you desire to invest for your children's college education, that is the only way that I knew of to get college education at a discount is to invest for it Mm -hmm. and let that compound interest basically pay for part of the college degree. And then lastly, investing for your future. So that's where I get into the, you know, investing in a taxable brokerage account to bridge a gap for early retirement, investing in real estate. It was a very high level overview of how to think about investing in real estate in addition to how to invest in real estate if you don't want to own a property. There are ways to do that. So it's really just a comprehensive educational course that helps the average American off the street improve their financial literacy when it comes to investing. Most people leave the course feeling like extremely empowered to go in and either ask much sharper questions to their financial advisor or manage their money on their own. Um, I, my husband and I currently manage our money on our own and we will do so until either we win the lottery, lottery or receive some crazy windfall of money or our net worth gets to a point where we want to hire a professional. And the reason why we do that is simply because we want to preserve the money that we would pay in fees early in life. And yeah. that doesn't make sense for everyone. Like some people, you know, if, if you're not going to invest at all because you don't have a professional, then you should go hire a professional. But the other thing that I talked through in the course is how really simple investing can be Mm -hmm. and the importance of understanding your fees if you do want to hire a professional. I find that to be another predatory industry. Like I said, not all financial professionals are bad. There are some fabulous ones out there, 100%. But it can be a very predatory space if you are walking in and you are not financially literate and there are people who fork over half their fortune over time, unbeknownst to them because of the crazy fees that they're paying behind the scenes. So yeah, we I use Vanguard, I, but my husband has a finance Vanguard. degree. Low, so fee, like, low fee. Yeah. yeah. 
Love Vanguard. Yeah. So that's my course. Um, currently, that is the only way to work with me live. When you purchase the course, I sell this course in cohorts. The next cohort opens in November. Top secret for this podcast, it will be on sale in November for Small Business Saturday and Black Friday. So stay tuned. Yeah, Get it on sale. You can jump in the next cohort. It's really powerful. The reason why I sell in cohorts is because we work together as a group. So you know, everyone buys in during the, the opening period and you get access to a community for 90 days when you purchase the course. The course is a lifetime. You get access to this community, which comes with group coaching with me once a month. We get on these group co coaching calls and it's a really empowering space to talk about money with like-minded people. Mm -hmm. And the reason why it's so powerful is just because these aren't conversations that are comfortable like having with your friends when you're having a drink. So to be able to get on a call with people that are like-minded and want to talk about money and investing and maybe pick my brain is really powerful for people. So that's my course and what I offer today. Awesome. Well, we'll make sure we have links below. Um, I love your Instagram. You drop so many free nuggets over there. Um, so make sure you're following that. And that way you'll be reminded when November comes around very soon. And uh, you're like, yes. So, okay. Thank you so much. Thank um, you for having me. It's an honor. Sto your story is inspiring. And I love, um, I love like all the nuggets you drop, but also just like your why behind um, empowering women. And like, I just think it's wonderful. So thank you so much. Thank you. No, thank you for having me. And I hope to stay in touch. Yeah. All right. We will on yeah. Instagram and yeah, have a great <laughs> like each other's Friday story. weekend. Yeah. Yeah. All right. She slayers until next week. Bye. Hey, She Slayers, are you looking to get your team off the phone and streamline your front desk so you can spend more time doing what you love? SCED has exactly what you're looking for. They will automate all your appointment reminders, missed appointment reminders, reactivation campaigns, allow you to have two-way texting with your patients. Plus, they have a very cool app that your patients are going to love. The app alone saves chiropractors tons of time because it gives patients the flexibility to move appointments to a time that works better for them. Don't worry, you won't lose control of your schedule because you'll have access to all the parameters that keep you still in control. Plus, there's overbook protection, so your schedule won't get out of hand. SCED was created by a chiropractor for chiropractors, so you can rest assured that you're getting the absolute best system for your office. Dr. Eric Kowalki is committed to the chiropractic mission, and he works closely with his developers to always be innovative so that we have the best system available. If you're hesitant to switch to SCED because you already use something else, let me tell you, it's worth every penny. Plus, mention that you heard about it on my podcast and they'll give you a discount. Seriously, it is a game changer. Don't wait. <laughs>